Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, Dr. Josh Axe here. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Ancient Health Podcast. I'm so excited to in, uh, actually interview somebody. Actually, it was one of my first interviews years ago, back, I want to say in 2009, Mark Sisson. And Mark Sisson is the visionary behind ancestral health. In fact, if you've heard the word primal regarding anything nutrition, Mark is the one that really sort of ran with that term and branded it and sort of brought into light primal eating along with the paleo diet. So part of the reason why the paleo diet is so popular is because of our guest today, Mark Sisson. And he's really transformed the way that we think about not only food, but in recent years, footwear. So Mark has dedicated a big part of his life to helping people live in tune with nature. And we're going to explore Mark's journey today, everything from overseeing anti-doping standards with triathletes to selling Primal Kitchen, incredible food-based, uh, incredible food company that used, I said food-based company because it's one of the few food companies that actually uses real food. So, uh, but he was able to sell that company. So he's a successful entrepreneur, uh, health enthusiast, and also a person who has, again, pioneered really the primal and paleo diets. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Josh. Great to talk to you again. It's been way too long. It has. And I think we've talked a few times over the years, but I remember I had a few, uh, you know, a few people in the very early days when I kicked off at a radio show and podcast and, and you were one of those guests. And I was so excited to talk to you because again, you were really pioneering this idea behind this primal diet and paleo diet. And it's crazy to think about even in 2009, almost nobody would have known what a paleo diet was versus about five years later, because of yourself and a few others, really it started becoming more and more popular. And so I want to get into that a little bit today, but also I want to dive into this first uh, and tell you a quick story. My wife uh, found me on the internet when I was doing a video about wearing barefoot shoes. And so that's wow. actually part of how my wife and I got married, crazy enough. And so I've been a barefoot, uh, a barefoot enthusiast for years, walking around the house barefoot, lifting weights and exercising barefoot and wearing barefoot shoes. And you came out with what I actually think are the best barefoot shoes I've ever worn by far. And so I want to talk a little bit. We're going to get into nutrition, all those things. But first, I want to talk about a little bit about the power of going barefoot and what yes. you did to make these barefoot shoes so, so incredible. Well, uh, thanks, Josh. I, you know, I've been, uh, as you know, a fan of ancestral living, uh, that what's been for 30 years. I, I got my degree in biology with a, with a, a focus on in, uh, evolutionary biology. So for me, it's all about how was the human body designed through evolution to uh, survive, to thrive, uh, to pass the genes along to the next generation. And part of our thriving uh, involved our ability to move from one place to another, to migrate across the planet and exploit all these different areas of the planet. And our ability to migrate was based on our bipedalism. We walk on two feet. So I've been fascinated with our connection with the ground. Uh, ever since I started running in the late 60s, I became a, a marathoner. Uh, I was quite proficient at that for a while. Uh, and eventually I actually got injured because of both the footwear and the diet. So those two, those two areas informed the rest of my life. Certainly I, I focused on diet for a long time to overcome the 
inflammatory aspects of, of what was causing my problems, but also the footwear was never right for me. So I've had this fascination with feet, with foot health, with footwear. I was an early adopter of the barefoot minimalist movement in 2006 and 2007 when the first five-toed shoes came out. And then when uh, Chris McDougall wrote Born to Run, I thought that was an amazing concept. Um, it, he really focused on running properly. That is, we were born to run. We know how to run. Our bodies know how to run. But we evolved to run barefoot. And being barefoot really creates an entirely different gait, an entirely different stride than being shod in restrictive shoes that have cushion underneath them, which throw off all of your sensory input and really cause problems further up the kinetic chain. So, uh, you know, I spent 20 years developing supplements and food and talking about food and writing about food. And then when I sold Primal Kitchen, I really was able to dedicate, rededicate, refocus my life around foot health. How can we optimize the health of this thing that connects us to the earth, this thing that we depend on every time we take a step. And, you know, the number of people with bad feet who have complaint of foot pain and bunions and plantar fascia problems and Achilles issues and Morton's neuroma and diabetic neuropathies and all these issues that people have with the very things that they depend on to get them through life. So it was, it was so fascinating to me that we would kind of overlook this as a species and put our feet into tight leather, fashionable, pointy shoes. And yeah, play attention to diet, get plenty of sleep, um, get sun exposure, uh, workout, but don't worry about your feet. They're, they're feet, you know, they're, they're kind of there anyway. So that's, that was really the, the impetus for me wanting to design the optimal shoe for human feet from the ground up. It had to have five toe articulation. So you had the toes have to splay, outwardly, but they also have to work up and down. Your toes are supposed to feel the difference in the change in terrain. Every time you step on a rock or a stick or a bump, your toes should acknowledge that. Your feet should feel the sense of the, the, what we call the ground feel and inform the brain of exactly how to flex the foot, how to bend the ankle, how to bend the knee, how to torque the hip, how to, how to orchestrate the shock absorption with every time you land on your feet. So, um, you know, we can get into the science of this you know, it, it, further on in the, in the talk here. But for now, um, I spent two years in R&D, created uh, numerous different iterations of this, wear tested the model that you have in your hand right there, um, put 650 miles on that uh, in Europe, hiking in the mountains and, and trails of Europe uh, two and a half summers ago. So this has been wear tested. It's I, I'm so thrilled that what we've come up with, I think, is really going to revolutionize footwear. You know, one of the things that I noticed, because I've, I've, I've had a lot of barefoot shoes, and one of the things that happens often in barefoot shoes is, is that either there is not enough padding to wear. If you're ever walking in, you know, a mall or just on concrete, you, you feel like, okay, there's, there's, there's zero support. And in a way, to me, it almost felt worse than being actual barefoot on hard surfaces, some of these barefoot shoes. And then some of the others, they would actually bring it up a little too much. And so really there was a lack of stability. That's one of, that's probably what I would say the biggest issue I saw with a lot of barefoot shoes today. One of the things that I think you've been able to do better than any barefoot shoe I've worn is you've been able to create, and I think part of it is you, the foam you used is incredibly dense. I think it's a really unique foam. And by the way, you know this better than I do. I'm just telling you what I've perceived from using these now for a I like what you perceive so far, Josh. But yeah, the, the, the foam, this is better foam. It's better quality foam and it's very, very firm, which I think that's one of the things people get wrong. And there's a base I don't feel 
like I'm on stilts or or a, a level of instability. I feel incredibly stable on these. And so anyways, for me, this has been um, my favorite barefoot shoe I've worn. And by the way, Mark isn't paying me to say this. Like I, I wanted to have him on because uh, now he did give me a free pair. OK, so I will I will say that. But this is my favorite barefoot shoe I've ever worn times 10. Uh, most of them I would wear for a period of time or only for certain occasions. The great thing about this one is like I'd wear them around the house. I wear them in the gym. I wear them if I go, if we're going out and, you know, shopping around. And so anyways, but talk to me a little bit about some of the other things, like the way that you were able to do this. And because, I mean, have you noticed a similar thing? It's either instability or the cushion is too, too soft with a lot of no, these 100%. barefoot shoes. I mean, I mean, all of these things that you just pointed out were, very important to me. I was, again, as an early adopter of the original five-toed shoes, the concept of a minimalist shoe seemed to mean that the thinner you could get it, the more minimalist it was, the better it was for your foot. But we have to understand that, yeah, we evolved barefoot. We did not evolve with shoes. We evolved to walk barefoot all the time. The problem is we've created a civilization that has pavement, concrete, hardwood floors, tile, marble, all manner of, of sharp objects that we can step on. So it's impractical to walk barefoot outside. I wore the original uh, five-toed shoes and I would try to go for a three or four mile walk in them. And I'd get a bone bruise. I'd get, I'd get yep. the feeling like something was wrong because there was just not enough cushion. And I think the early, the, what we call the 1.0 version of, of minimalist shoes tried to be as minimal as possible without recognizing that you have to account for these hard surfaces. So my goal was to create the feeling of walking barefoot on a putting surface, right? So mm. that meant just a little bit of cushion. Literally, it's three to four millimeters extra of this, what we call soft durometer EVA between the heel, the strobal board, which is the bottom of the, of the upper part of the shoe, and then the two and a half to three millimeters of hard rubber tread that would be the wear point. So if you if you look at the shoe and you turn it over, it's not completely clad with all black tread on the bottom. We've only put the tread on the wear parts, on the, on the, on the strategic, what we call the strategic wear parts. But the idea was to be able to walk 10, 12, 14 miles in Manhattan, right? And be able to get yeah. a great walking workout on sidewalks. Or I have guys, you know, trekking uh, three to five hours with backpacks on in the hills on hard, sharp, rocky surfaces because they can feel... Every time their foot lands, it lands in a different position, and that's a good thing. Every time your foot lands and your ankle and your, your brain senses where all of these changes have to happen, all these things have to flex and bend and torque, that's a good thing, and it strengthens your foot. So between the, the, the added uh, comfort of a little bit more padding, it's still very flexible and very thin, so you can feel objects underneath. The ground yep. feel is critical. I have – when I – we do these events with um, in running shoe stores where we're trying to convince runners to wear these shoes whenever they're not running. Like, like wear these shoes to train your feet all day long. And then when it's time to run, put on your running shoes and go run. But we have these events and they, we, we, it's called uh, Wednesday Wine and Walk. We, we have Dry Farm Wines show up and pour a glass of wine for everybody. They, they try on the shoes and we walk a mile down the street and I'll have people, okay, step on that manhole cover and step on that, um, that bubbly surface and step on this pothole and just feel, you know, and, and get a sense of what it really feels like to have a shoe on, but be aware of the change in train, the change in direction, the change in tilt of every footfall you make, knowing that with every step, you're strengthening your feet, you're increasing your mobility, you're increasing your resilience. I mean, there's to me, when I'm walking, I, I suspect you you feel this too. When I'm 
just walking on a flat pavement with these shoes on, I feel my feet splaying, my toes splaying, mm -hmm. and I feel them grabbing on the push off. And it's a great feeling. And I'm like, how, how did I live my life with my toes pointed together toward the end of a shoe and miss out on this important haptic input that the body was designed to do? Well, and I think part of the reason why this is so important, Mark, is, is because when we do anything that's not by design, now, whether somebody believes it's evolutionary or more of the way that God created us, but if something is violating our design and what our body is meant to do or adapted to do, it's going to cause disease. It's going to cause, you know, pain. It's going to cause some issue within the body. And so, you know, I know that as I have studied this and you, I'm sure as you've created these shoes much more than I, but you know, you mentioned plantar fasciitis. That is a big one. Anyone suffering from plantar fasciitis, they think, oh, well, my tendon's tight. Why is it tight? Your feet are weak. Your arches are weak. It's like you've never used your feet, actually. You've never actually gripped the ground. I mean, that's a big, a big reason. It's huge. And and plantar fasciitis is another great example of, of miscommunication within the medical community. It's turning out that plantar fasciitis is not so much an itis, an inflammation, as it is an osis. It's a death of tissue. So mm. um, Ray McClanahan, who is one of the most highly respected uh, podiatrists in this country, he's a runner's podiatrist. Um, he has a clinic, uh, the Northwest Clinic, uh, foot and ankle clinic. Um, and he did a deep dive into plantar fasciitis when he saw that there were so many podiatrists who were doing, literally doing surgery on these um these um, you know, painful foot problems that people had that were diagnosed, even misdiagnosed as plantar fasciitis. What he discovered is, you know, the, the toe, if you if this is a representation of the foot, the big toe is supposed to abduct. And it's that abduction that pro provides circulation all the way down from, from down the leg and across the foot out to the big toe. And that's the circulation that provides. Uh, nutrients and oxygen for that plantar fascia region. When you squeeze the big toe into the other toes and then put a little bit of uplift in it, as most shoes have this, what they call a rocker, a toe rocker, mm -hmm. it literally, um, it, it, it cuts off the circulation to the plantar fascia area and the tissue dies. And no amount of rolling or stretching, in fact, sometimes stretching is, is bad for it, right? The way to fix it is toe spacers, wear, walk barefoot, do your articulation exercises. And I would suggest that wearing Paluvas, my shoes, would help with that because you are, you're abducting the toe and you're increasing the circulation to that area, which we're already seeing people with plantar fasciitis having, you know, I can't make medical claims obviously about the shoe, but yeah. a, de a decrease in dis-ease. And we love, you and I love that term, dis-ease, because that's yeah. what disease is. It's not being easy. It's, it's making yourself uncomfortable. Yeah, it's so good. I also want to mention too, and I know that again, Mark isn't making any medical claims here, so I will. But just to say, just generally regarding going barefoot, it's better not only for your feet, but think about it, your feet are the foundation of your entire body. And so what it does for knee issues, right? As Mark said, a lot of times if you are walking in a lot of these shoes and it's forcing your body to do something it shouldn't, or it's creating instability, it's putting more pressure on your knees. That's putting more pressure on your hips. It's putting more pressure on your low back. And essentially what caused a lot of injuries, and I saw this when I used to have my function medicine clinic that also we did chiropractic in there as well, is a lot of joint issues today are due to, you used the word a few minutes ago, torquing. 
And so, you know, when your body is sort of going in the, you know, and, and your foot is planting properly, starting at that foot, well, if your foot is planting properly, then your knee tends to be in proper alignment and your hip and then your back. What happens if you start off with your foot not planting properly as it is barefoot? Well, now it's causing up that entire chain issues. And you may feel it in a different different area. Again, you might be a person where you had a in, knee injury in high school. So now you feel it in your knee. Or you might be a person where you've got chronic low back pain. It's for that. But that's another re- big reason why I encourage everybody to consider going barefoot and doing something like getting a hu- super high. I also say, you know, l- listen, you there are cheaper five-finger shoes than what Mark puts out there. But these are the best. I would say this is a, you know, the five out of five, the top grade. And so if you're saying, okay, I want to do something that's really good for every joint in my body, this is a really good thing to do for alignment of your spine. This is something I'm sure a lot of chiropractors are recommending, a lot of orthopedists are recommending as well. And Mark, is that something, have you, have you worked or talked with many chiropractors or orthopedists or PTs? And have they, have they, have they tried your, your shoe? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, we're, you know, we thought we were going to be, um, big in the running community, for instance, and we thought we were going to be big in in the weightlifting community. And it turns out that PTs and the you know the the the, uh, the movement uh, arena has been the greatest yep. for us. That that uh, area where people are really quite aware that every move you make as an athlete, for instance, begins with your contact with the ground. When you strike a a ball, you know when you when you hit a golf club, when you when you hit a baseball bat when you uh, even uh, you know shooting a, a three-pointer from outside every athletic move you make starts with your contact with the ground why would you not want that to be optimal all the way up to kinetic chain now one of the one of my pet peeves is after the minimalist shoe movement sort of came and went and and it went because people did get injured because they thought okay i'm going to go run in these wickedly thin shoes and then they you know they get injured and so the, the shoe industry said, oh, okay, we're going to go to maximal shoes. We're going to give you the most amount of cushion possible. And so the industry went to Hoka's and um, yep. MBT and Big Skechers. And now on is uh, uh, adopting this thick, thick, thick uh, concept. Every runner who's you know, running, trying to run in a marathon is running in these shoes. I, I was in a running shoe store a couple of weeks ago and I put on a pair of New Balance it felt literally like I was wearing a trampoline. I'm like, how is this even good for your body? I know what I know about, about kinetics and, and, and the kinetic chain and particularly the posterior chain. And these shoes feel good when you walk down the aisle of the running shoe store. Oh, my. Well, well Mark, the, 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 the other thing to your point earlier that I just want to say is there's a difference between, hey, you're training for a marathon in them, but also, but now you're wearing them all day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and I, no, and, and, I mean, for instance, and that's a great point. I, I can't wear regular shoes and walk three miles because my knees will hurt. And they will mm-hmm. hurt because when my feet land, there's not that input to tell my brain exactly how to load my knees. Because knees sometimes want to bend side. They, they actually want to bend sideways sometimes, you know. They want to track a little bit. They want to roll with yep. if you step on a rock and, and you go over the side of the rock. The ankle wants to give a little bit, but the knee wants to help a little bit. The hip wants to help a little bit. And if you bypass that information and you put your feet in these thick pillows, then when you step the wrong way on a medium-sized rock, the knee goes, oh, geez, whoa. I mean, like, like, I don't know which way to bend because there's no information here. So the rest of the body has to kind of guess at at which way to move to absorb the shock. 
And, mm. and as you said, it just depends on which is the weakest link of the body. For some people, it's the knees. Right. For some people, it's the ankles. For some people, it's the hips, lower back, lower back. Some people, it goes all the way up to the neck. So you want to you want to recreate this concept of walking barefoot on matted grass or on the plains of, you know, the savannas of Africa. And you want to do that with some footwear that will help you recreate that without being overly cushioned, but without being so thin that you, you know, that, that you get bruised by walking on hard surfaces all the time. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. This is something, again, PTs are adopting and a lot of those functional movement experts. I mean, we've seen functional movement continue to, uh, you know, grow and thrive and for good reason. You know, I think for a lot of people, you know, I, I think what, you know, when I was in college, in high school and a little bit after college, I, I did, you know, semi and, and it looks like the shape you're in, you maybe did something similar in terms of like more of the bodybuilding sort of workouts, right? And that was the biggest focus on whether it's bench press or curls or rows. Now, I just want to be trying to move still when I'm in my 90s, right? And going on hikes yes. and doing those things. So now, I mean, that when I'm at the gym, I'm doing functional movement exercises. I mean, it's sort of, I mean, my, almost my entire workout, that's what the focus is. And so it's not to get big, it's to live big, it's to live longer. And so it's, um, anyways, I love what you're doing and that you're able to help people do this. I do want to mention just before, I do want to talk a little bit about some nutrition stuff here and we can jump back and maybe yep. talk about the shoes again at the end in this barefoot idea. But if anybody wants to check out these shoes, by the way, at the end, I've got a big discount code for everybody that Mark was so generous to offer. The brand is called Pal Paluva, P-E-L-U-V-A, Paluva. I actually got to say this too, Mark. I got, I love the socks. Okay. Uh, you also have socks, these barefoot socks. And let me tell you why I love these. So I, I'm a sort of no-show sock person. I like, you know, not showing. And so even if I were going out and I do have some sort of dress shoes on, but you put the, uh, the, um, you know, the, not the stickers, but kind of a little bit of that stickiness in the back. So it sticks to yeah. your heel. And I've never seen barefoot anyone else do that with barefoot socks. So anyways, kudos. Also my favorite new socks that, that I wear constantly. Right. And I actually have to order more because I've already, you know, the couple pair that I have, I've already almost worn out. Um, yeah. I want to talk to you about dietary philosophy. So again, I interviewed you, I think back in 2009, quite a few years ago, you're one of the few, first guests on my, my podcast. And, you know, I know for myself now, my my dietary philosophy has evolved some. I think when I was before I practiced for a while, uh, when I was a practitioner, I think I thought there's one sort of perfect diet for everybody. And I think I, I, I obviously believed a lot in real foods, eat a lot of real foods. And I think over time and then I thought, well, it should be actually more heavy vegetables, small piece of meat. And then over time, I thought, well, it actually needs to be a lot more meat kind of nose to tail with some vegetables and fruit and things scattered in. And then I got introduced to Chinese medicine and I realized, wow, I think that so much of the diet is personal today in terms of what people can tolerate, what they should. Now, I do think there's some over prin general principles that really are, are, are overlapping for a lot of people. But I say all that to ask you this, are there any things that you believe 20 years ago when it came to diet and nutrition, you know, when you were kind of starting off and leading that paleo primal movement that you maybe think a little bit differently about today or your philosophy has changed in terms of, of diet? Yeah. You know, I was, um, early on, I was into the true paleo diet as put forth by Lauren Cordain. So I was an anti, yeah. uh, bean anti legume guy. Um, I, I wasn't, uh, quite so adamant about the dairy part of it as he was, but I was, you know, I, there, there were, I was more restrictive than I am today. Today, um, I'm, you know, I would say I'm keto-ish, 
So over personally, over the years, I've cut my carbs back. Uh, I've cut my starches back, even though I'm fine with people eating starches. I, for me, um, it's a combination of intermittent fasting or a compressed eating window, if you will, uh, with uh, a, a real focus on protein as the main center part of my diet. And then I just sort of fill in the, the blanks with whatever I'm hungry for at the time. So I have a list of all these things that I that I feel fine eating and I'll eat. And then I'll sort of, you know, add them in as I as I go along. I don't count macros uh, other than I just want to be sure that I'm, I'm getting my protein complement taken care of. Uh, but but the thing that's really shifted for me is is not so much a, a dogmatic approach to diet as a one even a one template fits all. Um, you know, we came up with this term, the industry came up with this term a bunch of years ago, and Rob Wolf and I have kind of popularized it. That's the concept of metabolic flexibility. So really the holy grail of any eating program is metabolic flexibility. How do I get to the point where I can extract energy from the stored body fat on myself or from the fat on my plate of food or from the carbohydrates on my plate or the glucose in my bloodstream or the glycogen in my my muscles or even the ketones that my liver makes in the absence of glucose? How can I be... How can I shift from one energy substrate to the other without feeling hangry or without feeling uh, like I've been kicked out of keto, as used to be the, the big thing? And, and whether you do that through a, a carnivore diet or a ketoish diet or even through a, a semi-vegetarian diet combined with um, you know, uh, intermittent fasting so that you do withhold carbohydrates for long periods of time and sort of stimulate the, the, um, you know, the, all of those enzymes to take fat out of storage and burn them. Um, however you get to that point of metabolic flexibility, that's really what I want for everybody. So then once you're there, you can sort of intuitively consume what makes you feel good and what you know will serve you in the moment rather than having to you know, choose not to go to this restaurant, even though everyone else is going because they don't have something on the menu that I can eat or you know, deciding that you're not going to fill your refrigerator up with these things because there's no way you're ever going to eat those. I I try to be as inclusive as possible with my diet now. I like to eat. I mean, I'm, I want to enjoy life. At the end of the road, at, at, at everything we talk about in this world that has to do with this realm of ancestral health still comes back to how do you feel and are you pleased with your life? Are you extracting the greatest amount of enjoyment, contentment, fulfillment out of every possible moment? And so I, I find that some people get so in the weeds about the dogma of I've chosen to eat this way and I have to eat this way. And even though it's a sacrifice and I don't exactly like what I eat sometimes, I'm doing it for, you know, the long haul. I'm, 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 I'm kind of over that. So that's kind of been a shift in my life. I'd rather make sure that everybody's enjoying now within reason, obviously within this list of things that you can eat. And obviously there's a list of things that you should not eat, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm much more accepting of, uh, some of the, um, you know, some of the falling off the wagon, if you will, that some people engage in. Yeah. I remember going to your uh, website years ago and you had a food list on there. And I remember you, you were one of the, now Lorraine Cordain was the first for me. I remember reading his book. I was doing triathlons at the time. And so I think I read the paleo diet for athletes. And I remember reading that book. Actually, this brings me to another question I'm curious about. I remember when I read that book, one of the uh, things that I generally disagreed with, um, which, which dietarily, again, I, I thought it was a brilliant book, really, really brilliant book, but he recommended essentially eating no salt. Did you, do you, do you recall this? Or yes, like, of course. So it, that, it, was a, that was uh, another example. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so I, as a triathlete, I, I realized very quickly that was not going to work for me, no. you know? And so anyways, any thoughts on, on that? 
Well, great example. I mean, we, you know, I think so. So Lauren had the thing on lectins, and then I think yep. the lectin thing was overblown, and and most of us came back to, you know, lectins aren't that bad for for most people. Um, even though my my good friend Steve Gundry still thinks they're they're, they're I, pretty bad for him. Yep. <laughs> Right. Yep. Um, but the um, but the thing about the salt is another example that, um, you know, I think there was part of it was uh, based on uh, his not wanting to fly in the face of uh, current medical dogma, which was that salt raises, um, you know, it's, it's it's hypertensive and raises blood pressure. Well, you know, James uh, DiNicolantonio and, and all of the guys that have done some work and written books on salt the last couple of years have certainly convinced me that salt may be the missing ingredient in a healthy lifestyle. And that we may, in our in exuberance for trying to reduce blood pressure, we may have um, cut way too back, way back on salt, maybe too much. Um, hence, my you know our friend Rob Wolf and uh, yeah. Element, they're they're crushing it now because and this you know stay salty. Yeah, it's so it's just so crazy. You, you have, it, it is it is crazy. You had uh, Loren Cordain there with no, and then you have Rob Wolf now with Element. That is, uh, and they were and they worked together. You know that, right? They were, you know, yeah, Rob, yeah. Rob worked at Lawrence uh, in in his uh, uh, research group. Yeah. Wow, I mean that's just that's just wild. Um, but I mean that's the know, nature. Of, that's the nature it, of what we do. I mean, look there, there is no right answer. I think in in um, in the world of dietary advice, there are just good suggestions, right? And some of them uh, work better than others for some people. Back to your Chinese medicine, um, you know, paradigm, which is everybody's different. And there's certain things that work for some people that don't work for others. And uh, so what I've tried to teach my whole career is this intuitive sense of how the body works. Well, I want to teach you how the body works, and then give you an, an intuitive sense of how your own body fits within that, within that construct. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, I, I, this is this past year, I, I did a levels glucose monitor, you know, you put those, you know, put it on the back of my yep. arm was, was reading my, my glucose levels for, for 24 hours. And, uh, it was, it was so helpful to look at that because I, um, there were certain things I thought, well, I probably just do fine with again, fruit, fruit was the biggest surprise for me. I'll just say this. Um, if I did about a half a cup of fruit, nothing, just shh, but if I started doing what would be considered ju- anything above one serving, I mean, just it just even a bite above one serving, boom. I mean, insulin wow. just like just spiked. And I, I was just so surprised at how how fruit affected me if I wasn't very careful with it. And, and then I started noticing too. I'm like, wow, I really am tired if I have one bite or just a little bit of too much fruit. But then there were certain things like potatoes. I thought that, hey, that's going to really cause me to jump up and they didn't. But then I noticed with some other people, you know, they did better yep. with a little bit more fruit. If they did potatoes or, or rice, you know, I, I tended to do pretty well with, with, with rice and potatoes. So anyways, it's pretty interesting, but I don't know. Have you, have you ever done a glucose monitor and see how no, your body responds? You know, to- the, the CGM thing is very interesting to me, but uh, I don't know if you've heard, but I am like the anti-quantified self. I don't, okay. I don't, I don't like much of the data. And I think, uh, you know, my, my line is bad data is worse a no, uh, bad data is worse than no data in many cases. I always come back to how do you feel? So I know how I feel That's after good. I've eaten certain foods. I know how I feel if I've had you know too much alcohol. I know how I feel if I haven't had enough sleep or if I overtrain. Uh, and all these things, there are devices that I could wear that would tell me that I didn't sleep well or that my HRV was, was inappropriate for training today. But I... 
have had enough occasions to wear these things and find out, you know, I actually did sleep pretty well last night, despite what, you, you know, despite what my ring said or what my bed told me. Um, I did have a great workout today, despite the fact that my HRV was, you know, was saying it was not appropriate or the converse. My, they said, go, go train your ass off. And then I did, and, you know, it got uh, and got winded and got got gassed. So I always come back to how do you feel? How do you feel in your yeah. life? How do you feel in your genes? How do your genes fit? How do your, you know, what's your energy level when you wake up in the morning? Do you wake up without an alarm clock? Um, how do you feel when you, you know, you're out in the sun and uh, you've, you know, you've cut back on seed oils and I can spend an hour and a half in the sun without burning. All of these things are available if, if for anybody to sort of play with without needing a device, you know, to tell them. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had... You know, I've, I've been to dinner with friends who say, uh, you know, well, it's 10 o'clock, but I'm, I, I can't go home now. I have to walk another 3,000 steps to get my 20,000 for the day. I'm like, yeah. uh, you're just sort of missing the whole point here of, of enjoying life. And in this case, enjoying a night out in the town with friends. Yeah, you know, I, I, I do think what you're sharing in terms of this sort of uh physiological awareness, you know, you, you, people are aware of their own body. They're aware of how food affects them. You know, I, I, uh, and just, so you know, I generally agree with you on, on what you're saying. I mean, I, I definitely lean more towards what you're sharing. I think that, you know, I think it depends on the person. I think for some people, I had a buddy tell me this the other day, he was a guy I work out with. And, and I said, Hey, are you still wearing this, this device he was wearing? He goes, no, it was stressing me out. He said, I was getting <laughs> yes, less sleep yes. and I was more, and there probably are a significant amount of people that feel that way. But I also do know, like for myself, if I eat too many egg, you know, if I eat too many eggs, uh, my nose starts running. If I eat dairy, I get phlegm in my throat, right? I do well with almost everything else, but there are certain things I know I feel tired. I feel run down. I don't respond to. So I do think for everyone listening, I do think there's so much wisdom marking what you're sharing here. And that is become more aware. I mean, by the way, awareness is important for you. And I would probably agree with this with everything, spiritual awareness of the greatest mystics and spiritual gurus of all time. were incredibly aware of certain things, people that have the most emotional intelligence, they're incredibly self-aware and aware of the feelings of others. And so I think the same thing goes for our physical health. If we can be incredibly aware as you're sharing, it's, um, it's important. And by the way, I do want to say this with medical tests. One of the most inaccurate medical tests I've ever used are food sensitivities and food allergy oh, tests. I mean, yes. it is unbelievable how many people I use that with over the years. And then you test the differing results, including myself. And so to your point, there definitely are some incredibly inaccurate tests. But I mean, there's a, there's a great example, Josh, because I just had my, my wife is into this stuff and, and, you know, God bless her. Cause I love the fact she's into exploring and finding new ways to address, you know, our, our lives. Um, and she just did one of those very complex uh, food sensitive sensitivity tests. And so she had me do it as well. And, you know, I, it comes back and I have, um, you know, a, a wheat, a gluten issue. I would have, I could have told you that I'm the guy who gave up wheat, it changed my life, but it says, you know, I'm sensitive to eggs and I'm sensitive to, um, to dairy and uh, I eat eggs a lot and eggs don't bother me. And it says I can eat all the peanuts I want. If I have 20 peanuts, I am I am bent over in pain the next day and unable to do anything. So, you know, I, I, I have a better sense of how these foods react with me than than a blot of blood on some on some paper that then is used to uh, to judge how 700 different types of food 
uh, cause your immune system to, you know, flare up or not. It's, it's a, yeah. These are complex tests. And like you said, a little bit of phlegm is a lot more indicative of, of a sensitivity than being told that you shouldn't eat this when the whole, your whole life you've been having it and you feel fine eating it. So, yeah, I, look, I was, you mentioned in the beginning, I was, you know, I was involved in the anti-doping movement for a long time with triathlon and I was in charge of writing the drug testing rules for the sport of triathlon. And, and I, I held, I, I oversaw the adjudication of every positive test for 15 years. So I know what goes on in the world of sports anti-doping. I also know what goes on in the labs. And, and these tests sometimes are like, oh my God, these are just wavy lines on sheets of graph paper. And they're yeah. being interpreted by people with varying degrees of expertise. And then you're maybe threatening some kid's career because they had a, they, they took a, a hit of uh, epinephrine so they could sleep with a cold the night before a race. So anyway, I, I'm sorry, I'm getting too, too, too deep in the weeds here, but I've been very suspect of a lot of the medical tests that we, that we engage in for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I, I think, I think so going going back to the the topic of nutrition, I think this is somebody something people are would be interested to hear 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 from you on, um, based on you being so aware. As I mentioned, I think there's a lot to be said about being self aware and being aware. I know you've also you know worked and consulted a lot of clients over the years in their health and nutrition. You know, what do you think some of the most important foods are we should be trying to get in our diet? And what are some surprise foods that maybe, again, if new listeners are new to you saying, okay, this is a food that will really impact your health in a positive way. And then I want you to go to the other side there too, or you <laughs> could start with this if you want of, yeah. hey, what are some of those foods that are even being promoted in health food stores and some doctors are out there promoting today that absolutely are going to start, are going to affect your health negatively? You know, um, I, I, I guess I'd start with the things that I would not eat. Um, you yeah. know, we've made a big deal of industrial seed oils over the past several years and um, and how they might be worse than sugar for a lot of people. Hey, uh, but, but are, by the way, please point this out for everybody. Sunflower oil is in everything. And yes. so, so, so is safflower oil. What are your thoughts on those? Um, I still have not seen anything positive on sunflower or safflower, even high oleic, which some people seem to think is a, uh, you know, as a reasonable compromise in those oils. Um, you know, so I've been, I've been on that bandwagon about just like eliminate canola. And, and that's another thing like it to this day, I think whole Foods still like serves up a lot of canola oil in some of their dressings and stuff like that. And, uh, even though they should know better, uh, the problem is it's just so, it's so cheap compared to the healthier oils, right? The avocado oil, the extra virgin olive oil, uh, coconut oil, obviously. And, uh, so I would say getting rid of the industrial seed oils uh, is is an important first step for a lot of people. Getting rid of the sugars, the added sugars, uh, and the refined grains. So those are the things that I would say that, you know, as I said for the longest time, the less sugar you consume in a lifetime, probably the better off you are. So try to reduce that. What would I add? I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of beef. I mean, I think Regenerative ag is the way to save the world. It's a way to feed the world. It's a way to generate more topsoil. It's a way to sequester more carbon. It is the answer to everyone's current nightmare, whether it's yep. you know climate change or or depopulation or starving countries or uh, just the malnutrition within the overfed American society. So I'm a huge fan of beef, right? So I think animal protein is still the ideal human food has been for millions of years. 
Uh, beyond that, I would say uh, some amount of, of green leafy vegetables, almost more for the variety and the crunch and the whatever. I don't think if I think if you're um, have have eliminated a lot of the stuff, the the refined grains, the starches, the you know the the, the sugary uh, sweet beverages and the industrial seed oils, then you also your requirement. The requirement of the body for added minerals and added vitamins goes way down, right? Mm. The original RDAs were based in the 1940s, based on a, a diet that was large and had a lot of grain in it, a lot of a lot of cheap sources of calories, which leached uh, minerals out of the body. So you had to like add more minerals back in to maintain bone density or to maintain, you know, mm -hmm. calcium channel uh, uh, functionality. I think um, if you have a meat centric diet or a, or an animal protein centric diet. Uh, you don't need a lot of other stuff. Then the other stuff becomes, okay, what, what, what am I hungry for? What would I love to eat? What would I like to eat some broccoli, some bitterness? Would I like the bitterness and the crunch of broccoli with some butter on it? Would I like, you know, a little bit of seafood over here? Would I like some, uh, you know, I, I still like a salad. I mean, I was the salad guy for years, right? I used to, I, I popularized the term big ass salad. And then I went sort of away from that. And I just said, I'm, you know, I'm more I think the problem with, with that was it was the bulk of food. It was the quantity of food. And one of the things I realized in the last five or 10 years is I was just eating too much food. I could get away with it. I didn't gain weight. I didn't gain fat, but I didn't, you know, I, I felt like maybe there's, maybe there's a, a, an amount of food that's less than I'm consuming that is still optimal for me, still maintain muscle mass, still grow muscle, still um, have all the energy I want all day, still not get sick and still, you know, not be hungry, not be tethered to hunger and appetite cravings. So um, if I meet, if I make meat and the satiety of protein, the centerpiece of my diet, knowing that protein is critical to anybody my age, anybody over 50 for that matter, I'm 70 now. So I, I want to maintain muscle mass. Once I've dialed that in, then I just sort of layer on things that I, that from a list of you know, great possibilities that I feel like eating in the moment, whether it's salad, whether it's broccoli, whether it's, you know, Brussels sprouts, whether it's a sweet potato with, uh, you know, with butter on it and a lot of salt. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's, those are, the, those are the types of what I would say, those are the comfort foods and those are the superfoods. You know, if you go outside there and say, well, you should be eating acai and mangosteen and, you know, aloe and all of, you know, all of the MLM products from years ago. No, there's no real superfood here. And kale, I, I hate kale. I just, I, I despise it. I would, even though, again, it gets various and sundry put at the top of people's list as the the number one ideal thing you could eat. I'm, I don't, I don't agree. I don't like the taste of it. I don't like the, it doesn't digest well with me. So forget it. It's maybe a superfood for you, but it's not for me. I remember the first time my dad came to my house in Nashville and uh, I was serving him kale and he gave me a hard time because he's like, this is not food. It's a garnish. Yeah. You know, the, the, so no. or as, or as we or I have a T-shirt that says, you know, kale is what food eats. There you go. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like it. We, we By the way, so I, I know, you know, Jordan Rubin. So Jordan and I own a farm in Missouri, about 4000 yeah. acres where we do regenerative agriculture. We also own nice. one in Tennessee nice. and we grew a big field of kale and we weren't able to do much. With, I mean, you know, we had some family take it and those sort of things. We we're just growing things just to uh test some things out and our our cows uh loved them they loved Good. the kale so so to your point uh that's it's right what food eats <laughs> that's right that's good yeah. 
That's good. So, so, so just, just for everybody listening, like Mark, so you, your dietary philosophy, as you said, it seems like you're a lot more flexible these days, but you're focusing on, again, meat as that centerpiece. And then a lot of real foods, you mentioned, you know, doing vegetables, doing things like sweet potatoes, doing, you know, d- doing a lot of real food around there, uh, makes, uh, makes a lot of sense. By the way, I actually think I made myself, gave myself some digestive issues because I was doing what you were doing my first couple years of practice. I was eating salads that were the size of a, you know, this, the just massive size, the size of, you know, two soccer balls. And, and, uh, you know, the biggest mixing bowl in your house, right? The biggest mixing bowl in your house. Yeah. Yes. And then I started noticing, I just, yeah, it gave me digestive issues later on. And so I realized that, Hey, a salad here and there that's small, that's typically enough. You know, I I am curious. I interviewed James D. Nicolantonio not too long ago. And one of the things he told me, we're talking about carnivore diet a little bit. And of course, he's a big promoter of eating meat, right? And getting a lot of protein on a daily basis. But he said something. It was the first time I'd heard anybody get into this when it comes to a carnivore diet is he said, you know, my research, he said, I actually did a study on this. And and that if you're going only meat and that's all you're doing, it's, you know, it's it's going to be too much acid. And, And so what it might do is, according to him, it might start pulling some of the minerals out of your bones and your fascia and connective tissue. And that was really the first time I'd heard that. And I think that, you know, I think that when it comes to any diet, there are some positives and negatives. And this is why, again, this self-awareness thing is so big. Figuring out your own body, what's working for you, what do you tolerate well is really, really, really important. Now, I'm a huge fan of eating a lot of meat. I mean, I probably try and get 40 grams per meal or so. Um, But but what what are your thoughts overall on, on... and specifically, I want to ask you a question. Feel free to share any thoughts on what I just yeah. shared. But also, um, you know, do you eat organ meats? That'd be another another question so, I have for you. Yeah, and, and and I do, but I don't eat enough. And so when you talk about carnivore, I would say that one of the things that you got to put an asterisk in front of carnivore is do you eat enough nose to tail? Because if you're mm. eating just the choice cuts of meat, that's probably not enough nutrition for you. And that's probably prompting the body to, to you know, to, to go toward that. Uh, for lack of a better term, I don't like the term, but acidic root where it, where it tends to be, um, you know, net negative on the mineralization. Um, but if you're eating nose to tail, if you're, if you're consuming organ meats, if you're consuming uh, the, uh, the bone, you know, bone broth and the, and the collagenous parts of the animal, which are contributing to your connective tissue, then I think you're probably better off. Having said that, Jay, uh, uh, Paul Saladino still pulled back from his carnivore ways and said, I'm going to start eating berries and honey because I didn't feel exactly right eating carnivore. I know Sean Baker is full on carnivore, eats a giant steak every day and seems to be doing okay. But I, I, I think for most people, full carnivore might be a great, uh, you know, short term uh, palliative solution to a gut issue or to some other issue. But I don't think it's sustainable in the long run for most people. And one of the reasons I say yeah. that is it's like I like to eat. So I get bored eating just meat. That's why I want to eat some crunchy vegetables. I want to have a handful of nuts once in a while. I want to, I want to, you know, I, I found a new, um, my wife found a new dessert topping. It's a whipped cream made with coconut. And mm. it's spectacular. And you put that on blueberries and you have not only the best tasting dessert you could possibly have, but it's sort of guilt-free because it's berries and it's, and it's coconut, yeah. right? Um, because I like to eat and I like to enjoy the, the process of eating and the, it, whether it's the, the, uh, the socialness of it or whether it's just 
the pageantry of it. I like a glass of wine with dinner. It's not, it's not dinner without a glass of wine, you know? So, so eating is an important thing to me. And I, I, I want to reinforce that when I've been talking about diet and cleaning up the diet and, and getting rid of all these foods and, you know, focusing on, on natural whole foods, I'm the guy who said, whoa, if we're going to do that, we have to have a lot of choices of sauces and dressings and toppings that's and stuff right. to put on this food to make it taste better. And that's what prompted me to start Primal Kitchen. Well, can I tell you with Primal Kitchen, we, we've used a lot of your stuff. And first off, I mean, we've gone through so much of your mayonnaise, you know, the, the mayonnaise you made. One yeah. of my favorite dressings that you, you came up with was you have this golden barbecue sauce. I mean, I use that constantly on chicken and other things too. So again, your barbecue sauce, your mayonnaise, we've, you know, if you come into the Axe household, everybody's going to be seeing that company you founded, Primal Kitchen, all over the place. I love that. By, by the way, the golden barbecue sauce was absolutely the first product we made in 2014. And we couldn't figure out at the time a way to make it without using way too much maple syrup. So it was paleo, but it had like, you know, 30 grams of sugar per serving. And so I couldn't, I had to wait another six or eight years until I could offer one that was, you know, fit more of the profile of what I wanted. Yeah, well, I probably had this in 2020, 20. I'm trying to think exactly when I, when I, when I probably had yeah. it, but it was, uh, to me, it wasn't sweet at all. It was more sour uh, or, or how would I describe it? No, it wasn't it? sweet. No, and that no tangy. Is, I feel yeah, like it's pretty but we, tangy. The, but we call it a Carolina gold barbecue sauce and, and we yeah. abandoned it. We abandoned it in 2014, not to pick it up again for another six years because oh, God, there yeah. was too much sugar. And we, you know, every time we came up with a new product, we had to figure out how to make it fit the criteria, which was it had to have no nasty ingredients, only good ingredients. It had to taste good, right? And and if we couldn't check off all those boxes, we weren't going to launch it. And in the case of, um, and for instance, no added sweetener. So even though uh, maple syrup is a natural sugar, it's still a lot of sugar. It's way more yeah. than I would advocate for. So we had to kind of shove that aside until we could figure out how to fix it. Same with the ketchup. You know, we want to do ketchup from day one, but it took us a couple of years to get ketchup right. And when we did, it was a, it was a huge hit. Yeah. Yeah. I've had it. It's fantastic. It's a, it's a hit in our household for sure. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you, and by the way, I, I didn't know you were 70. I mean, I, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I mean, they, I, I actually thought you were, you were closer to 60. And so I, uh, and, and that's, of course, that's a, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely a compliment. You know, I, I know that like when I look at you, I said a similar thing on my show recently, you know, I, RFK junior, I saw sort of the shape he's in. I mean, I, I think that society today, and I don't know why most people can't get this, but there's a principle. And I think it's a biblical principle. I think it's a principle also that the Stoics and many other wise people have said over the years, but it's this, Jesus has this quote of buy your fruit. You'll recognize them essentially by, Hey, if you want to know who to follow, Follow the person that is flourishing in this area, right? And so today, I mean, we've got a group of people, and again, I'm included in this, of like, I'm very intent on what you're saying because I want to be in your shape, you know, when I'm in my 70s. I want to be in the shape of somebody like an RFK or, you know, somebody I admired many years ago, Jack LaLanne, right? So it's like, I want to be like that in the future. And so when you're sharing something, I'm taking it to the heart versus there's a lot of people, and I'm not trying to get political here, but it could be, you know, a Dr. Fauci or another medical expert. And a lot of these people that are, you know, could be grossly overweight or having major medical conditions and, and, and 
and that's who people are listening to. And so I guess my question is for that, um, you know, why do you think so many people today don't under, don't fully accept or understand this idea that we should be following the people that are the fittest and the healthiest in their life and sort of, you know, being, being a, uh, you know, these, uh, being that person we should look up to? You know, it's a good question. I mean, there are certainly a lot of people who do follow uh, the people in our in That's our field, um, but the, you know, the vast majority do not. And I think they uh, long ago ceded control of their health to the machine, to the to the pharma, to the to the medical machine. They'd rather um, not do anything about it. I mean, I think a lot of people gave up out of frustration. That's one of the things that I, that prompted me to write the Primal Blueprint was this notion that you know people gave up on trying to lose weight because they they were told that exercise was the best way to lose weight. And, it, and it's not. It's actually a horrible way to lose weight. Or they were told that uh, cutting back on fats was a good way to lose weight. And it's not. It's, it's, a, it's a bad way. And, you know, all of the advice from the 80s and 90s that people who really wanted to do the right thing and who got in there and rolled their sleeves and tried to do it and then failed, it was a, a real, you know, a real frustration with that for a lot of people. And so I think at some point people just go, all right, I'll just do what the doctor says. You know, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll cut back on calories. I'll try and do it that way. I'll fight my way through this. I'll go to the gym. I'll work out. I won't pay attention to what I look like. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll try to get enough sleep. They'll, they try to do all these things, but they, but they, because there's no real, um, there, there has been very few people that they could look up to and, 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 I built my whole career on educating, right? I've spent 20 years educating people on ways in which the body works and how the world works and how food is supposed to work as a, you know, as, as a source of energy, but as, as a source of pleasure. And I've, I've brought people onto my side as you have, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time too. And, and, but it takes, it takes a lot of cajoling and a lot of educating and a lot of people you know, resisting before they say, oh, I've seen this guy a couple of times. I've read some of his stuff. You know, it's starting to make sense. But, you know, I have friends who I've been talking about weight loss and improving their lives for 20 years. And then and then my book comes out and all of a sudden it gets some good reviews and they start, you know, incorporating some of the ideas in my book and they go, oh my God, Mark, this is amazing. I'm like, well, I've been telling you this for 20 years, but you know, finally, there's, some, I guess, writing a book has some, you know, level of credibility added to otherwise the, the sort of uh, throwaway advice that I've been giving you for, for the last 20 years. It's tough. I mean, people, look, people don't want to change that much. They don't want to invest so much with if there's the possibility of failure, right? If, if they yeah. knew that this was going to work, I think they'd embrace it. But so many times people have been let down by the wrong information, by the wrong products by the wrong, you know, medical information, you know, for the longest time, you avoid butter, right? You stay away from butter. It's horrible for you. And oleo and margarine is the best way to go. And then the next thing you know, it flips completely on its ass. And that's right. Now you, it's, 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 uh, I would, I'm, I'm very fortunate and I have tremendous gratitude for my having spent the amount of time I did educating myself because I know, you know, I feel so content in how I view this world from the prism, from the perspective that I have, having spent that time learning about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think there's a level of, you know, character involved. I think there's a level of work ethic. I think it's harder to, um, 
you know, you'd mentioned sort of giving it over the machine. I mean, I think there's an idea of it's a real, it's really easy just to say, Hey, doctor, whoever doctor you, you have complete control of my health or government or whatever it is versus saying, no, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm going to pursue wisdom. I'm going to pursue allowing myself to be educated from experts like you. And so I think there's a real uh, element of wisdom and work ethic it takes in order to understand and learn what's going to be best for us in the long term. Mark, one of the last questions I have for you here, what, what are some of your biggest pieces of advice? We talked a little bit about nutrition. We talked about going, you know, barefoot and your incredible barefoot shoes that I love so much. What are some of your top pieces of advice that are maybe lifestyle based that have allowed you to, you know, live to 70? You're thriving right now. You just sold a company. You started a new company. You're incredibly healthy. What are some of those other lifestyle factors that have really made a big difference in your own health? Well, I think the number one for me is family. Um, And I've, you know, I've been married 33 years. I've been with my wife 35. We have two children. We have grandchildren. Um, and as I was building my businesses and as I was writing my books and as I was grinding it out, trying to build a brand, um, I spent time with the kids and I spent time with the family and I spent time with the wife. And uh, that's paid off hugely in in that we are now closer than we have ever been. And we were always close, but now we're closer than we've ever been because I didn't sacrifice the now for some possible future payoff. Mm. So I, I encourage entrepreneurs, I encourage people who are just grinding it out for, you know, at their job at work, you know, live your life. Um, Enjoy every possible moment. Stop every once in a while and go, oh my God, this is it. This is life. This is now. This is right now. What's going on right now? Oh my God, there's the sun is setting or the sun is rising or there's a great wind on my face or, you know, my, my, my child is, is kicking a soccer ball or whatever it is for you. Appreciate the, the moment and, and have that fill you up with the realization that that at some point you have to realize that this is this is all the now is all there is right so that's that's been my greatest my greatest realization over the years is that is that we have to we have to enjoy every possible moment we have to extract the greatest amount of enjoyment fulfillment contentment pleasure out of every possible experience in life not to say that there aren't going to be bad days and bad bad moments but also this too shall pass that's one of my favorite mantras anything that's it's getting you down or it's, it's bad. It'll, it'll blow over. It'll pass. Um, beyond that, I would say, you know, I don't apologize for getting eight and a half to nine hours of sleep every night. I love getting sleep and waking up, you know, ready to take on the day. Um, it's an important part of my regimen. Um, I'm walking more, you know, I was, I was all into, uh, hit workouts, high intensity interval training and, you know, the CrossFit type stuff or the, um, you know, as a, as an endurance athlete doing long, hard runs, dude, I'm into walking now. I think walking is the single greatest thing a human being can do for oneself. In fact, my, my new book, which is due out in April is called born to walk. Okay. It's a, it's, it is going to trash the running movement as, as inappropriate for all, but one or 2% of the population. And, uh, it's going to blame the running shoe industry on a lot of problems. Uh, and yet walking is walking is the best thing you can do. Walking is anabolic. Running is catabolic. Walking is, you know, it's it's restorative. That's a when you're injured as a runner, you walk to get better. Um, yeah. And and we are we are literally born to walk. We are bipedal. We are supposed to be walking. And the fact that people choose not to walk because their feet hurt them or because their shoes hurt them, um, we're trying to fix all that. We're trying to create a, an environment in which you want to go walk multiple times a day because because not only you know that's good for you and you know it's good for your spirit your spirit and your psyche. 
but it's also good for your feet. You're training your feet the whole time. And you want to lift to 90, the best way to lift to 90 is to be able to exercise every single day to get to 90. Once you stop exercising, once you stop moving, once you stop walking, it's a slippery slope. It's a, it's a real fast decline from there. So you got to keep moving. No, that's amazing advice. You know, I, I very, very similar lessons I think I've been learning as well and that I've been living by. And I think walking, as you mentioned, and there are some great studies on this. I've continually over the last three years seen some really great research on walking for longevity, walking for mental health, walking for keeping a healthy you know, uh, weight and a number of things, anti-aging, as you said. And so I think it's powerful power of advice and doing it in nature. The more we can get out in nature, the better. Well, hey, I want to let everybody know about a few amazing things Mark has going on. One is he's got a book now. I think it's a reprint from his first book, but The Primal Blueprint. This is a book I read. This is a long time ago, Mark. I'm trying to think 2008 or so. Uh, But again, I want to encourage you guys to check out Mark's The Primal Blueprint. Also, he has a company uh, that, again, we love their products. We mentioned it earlier, Primal Kitchen. But one of the biggest things I want to recommend, and this is how I started the show, is talking about these uh, Paluva shoes. Um, If you're a person that wants to have healthier feet, healthier knees, healthier hips, healthier low back. And for me, I injured myself uh, weightlifting and, and, and bulged a couple discs, had back pain, and it's getting much, much better now. But, but this is such an incredible product, uh, doing barefoot shoes for this. And again, not just barefoot shoes. The problem with most of these barefoot shoes, they either don't have enough of the right type of really firm cushioning as he has in the shoe, or you're more unstable. So it's actually putting a more torque or pressure on your knees. These are great to wear around the house. This is what I've been working out in every time I go to the gym. This is what I do. This is what I've been walking in. So as Mark's talked about the importance of walking. And when you can splay your feet, strengthen your feet as well, it affects everything up the chain. As I mentioned, knees, hips, low back, all the other areas as well. So I want to encourage you. Um, and Mark was kind enough today to give a discount code for this product. And so it's simply Paluva. Uh, the, the, the company's Paluva. If you go to Paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A.com, Paluva.com, enter the code AXE, that's A-X-E, and you'll get a 15% off discount. Now you can match me and get this one. There's actually a few different colors on there. And by the way, you got to get the socks as well. The socks are the best socks I've ever worn. So I encourage everybody to check out Paluva Footwear here by the founder, Mark Sisson. Mark, want to say, hey, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us today. Such a pleasure, Josh. I appreciate it very much. And again, it was good catching up. Again, I know you were one of my first, I don't think I ever told you, one of my first guests I ever had on my podcast back almost 15 years ago now, which is kind of crazy. But uh, again, uh, thank, thanks to all you've done for pioneering, you know, both health and wellness, both in the food category and now in the foot health category. Um, hey, I want to say thanks to everybody for joining us on this episode of the Ancient Health Podcast. You know, I hope you found this, uh, this conversation with Mark really enlightening as I did. And like I said, I am always committed to learning from people that have walked the walk. I mean, Mark is somebody now for over 30 years. And for myself, over the last 15 years, I've followed. I've been impressed with all the great things he's done. And Mark is 70 and thriving, incredibly healthy. I'm sure he's going to be one of those centurions we're reading about uh, 30 years from now. And so I want to say he's somebody that you can really trust in terms of, hey, what should you be eating? 
how you should be living with your lifestyle in court in order to uh, have better health. And hey, if you're not subscribed, hey, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave a review if you love this episode and any others and your feedback's always appreciated so we can continue to bring you the best in content. And hey, if you also wanna follow us on social media, you can go on social media. And actually, I'm gonna ask you this, Mark, where is the best place for everyone to follow you on social media? I'm uh, Mark Sisson Primal on Instagram. And uh, and if you want to look at the shoes, the shoes are Wear Paluva, W-E-A-R-P-E-L-U-V-A, Wear Paluva on Instagram. That's great. So go to Instagram, follow Mark. You can also find me at, at Dr. Josh Axe on Instagram and YouTube as well. Well, again, hey, thanks so much, Mark, for sharing your wisdom today. Thanks, everybody, for taking part in this podcast. And we'll be back next week with another show. Hey, Dr. Axe here. I want to say thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss a thing. Also, if you're in search of more natural health content, you can follow us at Health Institute on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes below. Hey, thanks a lot and have a blessed week.